You are listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church, visit salempresws.org. That's salempresws.org. We believe preaching is best when experienced as part of the larger drama of God's people gathering. Something spiritually unique happens when God's people are together. We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Join us Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. Psalms, uh, this evening, and uh, we've been going to the Psalm of Psalms 
uh, for the past few weeks. And um, it's, a, it's a story of romance, as probably most of you know. Uh, sometimes called the Song of Solomon. And um, in the Song of Songs, you have this uh, young man, this young woman, and they're kind of like Adam and Eve. Um, they are, you know, they're in this uh, beautiful garden together. Um, you see a lot of imagery of animals in the Song of Songs. Um, it's, uh, it's really almost like you're in an unfallen creation. The great um, scholar Phyllis Tribble, who taught at Wake Forest, uh, one of the first female scholars in the Old Testament in the 70s, uh, she talked about it as reversing the curse uh, that was put on Adam and Eve when they fell, um, where she would try to control him and he would try to dominate her. And the, the Song of Songs like, undoes all of that. <clears throat> and you have this mutuality and delight uh, of these two different genders, complementarity, um, working together, um, so, so much uh, equal uh, in, in royalty and, and honor and power. So we've been looking at the Song of Songs. And one thing about the Song of Songs is it can make you feel really bad. Um, and I know that people have felt that way um, as I've been preaching through this, you know, because um, it, it does show perfection. And um, one way that I think especially that's difficult is with just how you look. And we're going to talk about that, which is kind of uncomfortable. Um, we're going to talk about appearance, like physical appearance, because... Um, you know, these two, they keep talking about how beautiful they are over and over and over again. Four times, there are these poems that uh, in the ancient world are called a wasp. That's a W-A-S-F, a wasp, which is a, um, a song of delight, uh, comparing the other person to all these different things. So in chapters 4 and 5, there are already two wasps, uh, one from him to her, one from her to him. Now in 6 and 7, we get the last two of these things. And, um, you know, if, again, if you feel uh, like you are unattractive, uh, if you felt rejected uh, by your appearance, uh, uninteresting, uncool, whatever it is, unhip, um, <clears throat> you know, I, I can totally um, identify with that uh, myself, especially in high school, really difficult, being tall, really, really hard. So some of you uh, kids out there especially, you might be going through that right now, and just know that's very normal and very natural, and your parents probably went through that too. And, um, and this, this is actually really good news, okay? This, <clears throat> this thing we're looking at tonight is very good news for those who don't feel attractive, because if you look carefully, what uh, this guy is actually talking about when he's praising this young woman uh, is not her raw physical beauty. And actually, I would submit to you that the raw physical beauty of a person is not the main thing uh, that we find attractive. Uh, it's, it's more like something like winsomeness or charisma. Um, in this case, you have these two things, force of character, is the first thing. He calls her, O oh, noble daughter, in verse 1 of chapter 7. So it's uh, nobility. It's her nobility that he's drawn to. Uh, there, there are some things he talks about in here, you know, her eyes and so forth, her neck, and, you know, that, that is there. But even in those comparisons, it's, it's comparing to different things, like, uh, like doves, like a tower. So we have the, the first thing that he's really fixing in on with her is her, her force of character. 
oh noble daughter. And then after that, um, he also is interested in the way that she carries herself. So like her dynamic motion. Um, in verse 13, uh, he says, turn, 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 O Shulamite. Because it's a description of her dancing. Actually, uh, the second wasp is a, is a depiction of her dancing. So on the one hand, we're going to look at character uh, and nobility. And on the other hand, after that, we're going to look at um, just movement. You know, the way someone moves. And um, I thought about in Harry Potter, you know, in, in Harry Potter, the photographs were moving. So you didn't just see their face, you saw their face moving. A little bit. It's kind of like when you take a picture with your camera live and you press down and, they, and there's a little bit of motion there. You know, just the still shot itself doesn't tell you nearly as much about the person as the little bit of motion you get uh, when you see the person uh, on the live photo. So I want to look at the character and then in motion. Okay, so first of all, um, verse 4. You are beautiful as Tirza, my love, lovely as Jerusalem. Okay, so Tirza was capital of the northern kingdom. Jerusalem was the capital of the southern kingdom. And I remember the first time I visited our capital, Washington, D.C., my favorite city in the U.S. to this day, and I was blown away by the mall. Just the, um, the power of America, the museums and the, the Capitol building itself and the monuments, I, I never really had felt that patriotic, but when I went to D.C., I felt that, um, that deep love of our country. And it's part of what uh, I loved about it was just, um, you just got this sense of energy. Uh, you got a sense of power in the best sense, power for good. Um, which I know America has not always used that for the good, but, uh, you know, when I was there, I felt very much a sense of um, delight in this capital that I was in. And capitals are not mainly about physical beauty. You know, I also love London, capital of England. Uh, you kind of add to Washington, D.C., royalty and antiquity and culture uh, that D.C. doesn't have. So capitals really are not about primarily the physical beauty. It's about the power and the glory of this place. And so when this young man looks at this young woman, he's like, it's like being in a capital. It's like being overwhelmed by Jerusalem to see. And I thought about like Queen Elizabeth, you know, a woman of power and glory, or Michelle Obama, I think. Even people didn't love her husband's politics. They thought she was amazing. She's a very powerful, a wonderful woman. Rosa Parks. Corey Tinboom. Um, again, not primarily about appearance, but just she is a person of power and glory. So these, uh, these women, uh, that's what this guy is talking about. Think about that. No, nobility. And then my favorite is um, verse 4 and 10. They're bookends. Okay, so... Uh, at the beginning and the end of this first poem, you have this awesome, awesome as an army with banners. So think about an army with banners. You know, we don't actually see this anymore, but if you watch Lord of the Rings, as I do, you, you see it. Uh, the, you know, the riders of Rohan, these galloping horses, and um, you have these flags that are like snapping in the wind, and they have their standard on it, different colors. And you're like, if you see those, if you see that army, you know, you're, you're up against something really forceful and powerful. And that's what, that's what this guy feels when he sees this, this girl. It's like, you're as awesome as an army with banners. I know that um, 
I was talking about this with uh, some guys from Wake Forest. We were talking about just dating, and, and one of them said, you know, some guys, they want to date a girl they can control. And then he was like, you know, I don't want to marry someone that I can control. I don't want to marry a roadie. I want to marry an army. You know, I want to marry someone that comes at me that's, that's powerful. And he was like, if I wanted to marry someone that I, I wanted to control, I'd just marry myself. But I want someone who is, um, who's going to confront me, who's going to overawe me. Um, I want uh, something that is, you know, aggressively um, difficult to handle. You know, that, that's what an army certainly is. And so um, men have always used uh, power to, to put women down. That's the curse of Genesis 3.16. Your desire will be for him and he will dominate you. Uh, by their strength, uh, their physical strength, men have just always done this. Um, it's part of this terrible world we live in. But uh, this, this man, this true son of Adam, um, is not going to do that. He, he wants a woman with independence and strength. Uh, not a sidekick. He doesn't want a sidekick. He doesn't want like Robin. It's not like he's Batman and he wants Robin. He wants someone uh, who is an army. Like an army. And if you're, if, you're, if you're looking for a wife, if you're somebody that's looking for a wife, I suggest you, you look for someone who is overwhelming to you in that way. And not someone that you think, uh, I can control this person. There's, a, um, there's a, a famous book by um, John Piper and Wayne Grudem. It was called uh, Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. There's this movement in the 80s to kind of push back on feminism. And uh, they define feminine in this way. Uh, they say the heart of being feminine is a disposition to affirm, receive, and nurture. Affirm, receive, and nurture the strength and leadership of worthy men. And I read that and I thought, you know, nurturing and affirming are great. They're very important. But that is not the purpose of a woman. A woman is not defined by a man. Because you can live a perfectly glorious life as a woman without being tied to a man in any way. And I thought about, like, a woman's purpose is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, period. And that could involve a man. It may not involve a man. But... If you look at Deborah in Judges 5-7, you know, I don't think that the heart of her being a feminine is um, to affirm, receive, and nurture the strength and leadership of a worthy man. Uh, she says in Judges 5-7, I, Deborah, arose and mother in Israel, my heart is with Israel. And she encourages them to go and fight. And then you've got Miriam in Exodus 15-20, who was a prophetess. She was a prophetess. So she prophesied. And one of the things that she did when she prophesied is she sang to God. And when she saw the Egyptian army absolutely annihilated by the hand of Yahweh and drowned in the Red Sea, she um, got up, began to dance, and she said, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Horse and rider he has hurled into the sea. So that's a, that's a powerful woman right there. Uh, singing... Um, about the destruction of the empire. Uh, a, a woman who is uh, prophesying to God and, and encouraging Israel to rejoice in the, the victory of God over his enemy. Um, in verse 5, he says, Your eyes overwhelm me. And uh, I'm, I'm fascinated by rogue waves. Like there are these hundred foot waves that come into uh, this 
little town in Portugal, Porto, and um, they're just so massive. You can see the little people who try to um, surf them are just like little dots on these hundred-foot waves that come in. And she is overwhelming. You know, overwhelming things make you feel helpless, make you feel out of control. And in verse 10, it's like he compares her to these astronomical bodies. Um, Who is this that looks down like the dawn, beautiful as the moon, bright as the sun? Um, She is overwhelming to him. Like a sunrise, you know, on a beach, over some mountains, looking out over, you know, the the Sea of Cortez. That that happened to me when I was in Cabo in Mexico. Just this overwhelming sight of the sun rising up over these black hills. There was the Sea of Cortez. There were dolphins that were leaping out, stingrays leaping out of the water. And it was just, it was awesome to me. And so that's what we see in this this woman, Um, a powerful woman. There was a a book uh, called Everything Sad is Untrue that I recently read, one of my favorite books of the year. Highly recommended. It's supposedly a a book for teenagers, but it's really, really good for adults, too. Everything Sad is Untrue. Um, And the book is a dedication to this guy's mom, the strongest human being that I ever met, he said. And she gave up her home in Iran to follow the Lord. Take, took her children with her uh, because she was kicked out of Iran because of her faith in Christ. And then she came to America and she gave up her body, literally gave up her body to protect her kids. And the whole book is like a, an encomium to his mom, the most, the strongest woman I ever met. And uh, that's, that's what uh, this is talking about. Queens praise her, verse 9. Queens praise her. That's what this guy wants. A strong and powerful woman. So that's, that's the first point. Force of character. And of course, everything I'm saying about a, a female would also apply to a male. So um, the attractiveness of a female or a male is a lot more than just their, their physical features. It's force of character. It's, it's the power of a person. So that's, that's number one. Number two, uh, the way she carries herself. In verse one, chapter seven, how beautiful are your feet and sandals. The reason he's looking at her sandals is because she's dancing. And um, he, um, he's picturing her uh, moving her feet and her whole body in a way that is just breathtaking to him. So, you know, if you've seen a Jewish wedding, and you know the way they dance, you might have seen that in images of a Jewish wedding, holding hands in a circle, and they clap, and they kick their feet up in the air. Um, that's kind of what's going on here. Verse 13, it says, turn, turn, turn. Oh, bringer of peace, that we may look upon you. So it's a, it's a dance, maybe a wedding dance. Um, it's, um, it's not provocative. It's not like Salome, you know, in the New Testament, who danced before Herod. Um, it's, it's more about liveliness and her posture, her bearing, her uprightness. I think about, um, if you've seen like a Jane Austen movie, you know, Emma or Pride and Prejudice, something like that, when they do the Virginia Reel and they have that dance where they have the two lines and they funnel through these two, these two people's arms are like that and they come through and they dance together. Um, that's kind of the picture I have here of this wedding where she's dancing. Uh, verse 13, how you love to gaze on the maiden as she moves between the lines of dancers. So he's seeing her in motion and uh, it's just taking his breath away. Your neck is like an ivory tower. Again, that's about posture. It's about the way she holds herself. Her neck, she's standing upright. She has confidence. She has strength. She has a certain kind of bearing, the way she carries herself. She's comfortable around the skin. Uh, There's a famous song by George Harrison 
Uh, the Beatles of the Beatles. Number 14 on the 100 greatest songs of all time, according to this one source. And uh, it's called Something. Something in the way she moves attracts me like no other lover. And I love the fact that George Harrison talks about the way she moves. Um, something in the way she woos me. So um, it's kind of like the way someone tosses their hair. You know, the way that they, it says that her hair is like this flock of goats coming down a mountain. So it's, it's in motion. The king is captive in her tresses. Verse 5, the sheen of your hair radiates royalty. So lovely that it holds a king prisoner. So she very much feels at home in her body. And uh, again, like I said, the way a person looks has so much to do with the way they move uh, their features, the way they, their grace, um, the way if, if, they, they're, if they're smiling a lot, if they're wide-eyed, or um, if they're encouraging, or their eyes are very warm and inviting, versus like if they're always complaining or upset or just constantly frowning uh, or critical, or their eyes are very haughty. I think about if you've seen My Fair Lady with Audrey Hepburn and the way that she transforms in that movie um, from kind of this peasant girl to almost like aristocracy. A lot has to do with like the way she moves, her gait, the way she walks, her posture, you know, her confidence, her poise. It changes everything about the way that a person comes across just there, simply the way they move their body. And this guy is fascinated by the way she moves her body. Um, I remember the first time, Margie's not here, my wife, she's in childcare. That's, that's a good thing. Um, and Cooper's not gonna tell her that I said this, but um, the first time that I, I saw her, um, she knows this, but my roommate was interested in her. This is my wife now. And my roommate showed me a picture of her um, in the yearbook, and I was like, I don't know what you're talking about, Don. Like, I, I just not, I'm not seeing that. You know, whatever you're seeing, I'm not seeing. Um, I was like, she looks kind of like a party girl, you know, somebody that would be in a sorority. I didn't like sororities at the time at all. So I was like, I would not, I would not go for that at all. And then I met her. Uh, we studied abroad in London together. I had not met her really until then. And it was, it was the same face, the same hair, but now it was like animated. And it was full of like intelligence and wit and warmth. She was smiling, she was laughing, she was making jokes. And a lot of it was like the eyes, you know, the way, that, the way someone's eyes like cut and flash and they narrow. Just the way that a person wields their eyes. Um, it says in verse 5, turn your eyes away from me for they overwhelm me. And there were times where it was really hard for me to look in her eyes because it was so overwhelming. So... I would suggest that true beauty uh, is not about just raw physical features, like the perfect you know, body type, or the perfect symmetry of a face, um, the perfect proportions of your eyes to your nose to your mouth. Um, that's, not, that's not true beauty. I mean, that's, that's good you know, for what it is, uh, but that is not what the beauty of the scriptures really is. Um, I want to end with a story about this couple. I heard this on NPR. Um, Anthony and Jessica uh, Villarreal are their names. They're from Texas, Lubbock, Texas. They got married in 2008, and um, they were 22 years old when they got married. He went straight to Afghanistan after they got married. And uh, pretty soon after he got there, uh, his truck got hit by a bomb, um, and he suffered third-degree burns, 
uh, all over his face, all up and down his body. Um, he was so disfigured that when they brought him to Jessica to make sure that it was the right person, he was still alive, but they just didn't know for sure if this was actually Anthony. And the only way she could identify him was his lips and his eyes. That's the only thing that she could say for sure was, was Anthony. And um, he had 70 plus surgeries, uh, multiple skin grafts, and uh, his right arm and his left fingers were amputated. And I, can only Im- I can't even imagine, I mean, as, as hard as at times high school was for me, I cannot imagine just the uh, self-consciousness of feeling so unsightly. Um, you know, sometimes our sense of feeling ugly is deeper than just our appearance. It like gets down into our soul, into our depth of being. And it almost becomes like a moral or a spiritual thing or even ontological to use a fancy term, we feel like repulsive, just our essential being. Something about what we've done, or maybe cowardice, uh, fearfulness, sometimes with sexuality, but like the ugliness goes deeper than physical. It's deeper than the physical, and I think that would be true with Anthony. He felt that just simply, I am a repulsive person. Um, In in the story, he's quoted as saying, people don't want to see someone that ugly. They stare at me and they point at me. He said, I didn't want to even leave the house. And he was sure, he was absolutely sure that that Jessica would leave him. And he wouldn't have blamed her for doing that. Um, But, of course, uh, when you get to the NPR interview, they have a child, Anthony Jr. And she is an art therapist for wounded veterans. So her suffering and pain that she went through has, has... led to this grace of constantly being with people who are injured from war and using art uh, to kind of bring them back to life, to give them confidence. And now he's a stay-at-home dad, and he goes around the country and he speaks to audiences um, of veterans who who feel like they can't re-enter society. And um, she says in the story, she says, I cannot imagine you not being in my life. She turns to him. She says, I'm strong today, and that's mostly from you. And then she said, I'm more self-conscious about my appearance than you are about yours. Because he had so completely gotten over himself. And I think that part of the reason he could get over himself is she looked at him every day and just said, you're beautiful. She just kept looking at him. As he was going through these skin grafts and surgeries, um, she gave him so much confidence that in the story he, he ends by saying, I know now that nothing can tear me apart from my wife but death itself. Which that sounds straight from the Song of Songs. And that's what this table does to us. Uh, every week when we take it, it's like God is looking at us again uh, at our ugliest moment. And he's saying, I love you. You know, you are beautiful to me, my love. Altogether beautiful. As he becomes entirely disfigured on the cross, and our Lord says to him, while we are betraying him, he says, uh, I am yours and you are mine. And so um, on the night...
And remember, we love these rascals.